Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Ring of Honor Final Battle Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on this weekend's Ring of Honor Final Battle pay-per-view. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we review Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2 Oh, we join our AW Rampage pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review a very eventful Ring of Honor pay-per-view. Yeah, the uh, the show was very, very good. Long, unreasonably so, factoring in that zero hour. Um, not. Perfect, but much better than the hype suggested. Yeah. But at the same time, that doesn't really impress me. Again, I say it all the time, whether it's pertaining to AEW, WWE, NXT, New Japan, whatever, I cannot do cartwheels at a mere very good to even great four-hour slab of professional wrestling action. Ultimately, I'm so much more impressed when wrestling gets me to really emotionally invest and create these lasting memories of just seminal greatness. And obviously there was such a match on this mm-hmm. show, but otherwise, was it that valuable a use of my time, which is very, very elusive? I, I'm i not sure. I will get to it imminently, I suspect. Yeah, we'll talk about the show in and of itself, obviously, in a second, but we're going to do this sort of weirdly backwards and talk about something that happened after this show, which was, and we were speculating this on the preview, Sige, regarding what's going on with Ring of Honor. Is it a TV deal? What are they going to do? And it it turns out it's going to be Honor Club. How do you feel about all this? The ultimate irony for me, Adam Wilborn, right, is that the one act that's pure top five dead or alive in ROH history, right, the one act on this brand, on these pay-per-views, that has made me very, very happy that ROH continues to exist. The one act, or the act that would never have allowed to have appeared 
on a TV show if such a TV show had materialized. Yeah, good point. It is the Briscoes, right, who have worked three very good to seminal matches on this Tony Khan pay-per-view cycle, right? And they are the one act where I thought, right, I'm really missing out on their brilliance if I don't really delve into the guts of this Ring of Honor thing. And they wouldn't have been allowed to appear on television had they secured this TV deal. So I don't know what that says, um, but it says to me that, look, this property just hasn't been hot. I know that recent conversations from certain people have indicated, well, I don't know what your problem is. There's lots of stars associated with this brand. Yes, but they could just as easily be associated more prominently with AEW, yeah. which is the more interesting show, which is the show that feels big, which is the show that people really talk about. And as I've said one million times, with the exception of the Briscoes, mm-hmm. ROH doesn't give me anything stylistically in terms of the booking patterns, in terms of the talent, the level of quality that I'm not already getting on a show that I have more personal investment in, that feels bigger, that feels more worthy of the conversation because wrestling fandom isn't just sitting back and watching the shows anymore. Um, It's about going online. It's Mm. about sharing your opinions. It's about discussing. It's about debating. It's about living the experience of something that we're all in, whether we love it or whether we just thought it was okay this week, actually. Um, Ultimately, going to Honor Club is... um, what it deserves. Mm. Would you... I just can't imagine if they'd said, all right, well, it's going to be on TBS uh, every Saturday or every Tuesday. I wouldn't consider it appointment viewing. There's been nothing in the booking that indicates that this is something truly special and new and unique Mm. and distinct. It would just feel like an obligation. The... um, Gate for the show wasn't particularly impressive. Certainly didn't feel like a pay-per-view. If this was a dynamite, they'd be really worried about the number I expect. It just doesn't have any USP, any real buzz. It doesn't feel essential, must-see. And I can completely understand why, looking particularly at those Rampage numbers, that Warner Brothers Discovery have thought, you know what, we don't want something less impressive in terms of the data we've had so far on pay-per-views and gates and the online engagement levels and every other metric that you can associate with Ring of Honor. I can completely understand why I didn't get a television Mm. deal. It's a massive cell phone because about, what, 30% of AEW television this year haven't run the data, Mm. but a lot of it. A not inconsiderable amount of TV time has been dedicated to ROH trying to get the brand over to, as I've made the argument countless times, the detriment of the AEW brand, and particularly awarding Chris Jericho the world title, for me, felt like one last Hail Mary, like mm. one last counter-attack, counter-attack in the opposition box to say, right, okay, well, it worked for AEW, having Jericho's name value associated yeah. with it as the top star, as the flagship champion, and he summoned a lot of people to this um, emerging AEW property at the time. They tried to repeat the trick, and as I saw the results flood in through the show, I knew he was going to have to eat crow with this announcement and just kind of bury it in the uh, in the press conference, knowing that he was just not going to get any hardball questions on it. It's an indictment. It's an indictment of the experiment, which I believe has failed. And look, don't get it twisted. This show was very, very good. Great at points. 
but it's just fundamentally inessential and nothing that people can do cartwheels over. I guess it's nice that it exists. Mm. In small pockets, I've thought certain things were exceptional. But again, the only thing that I could not get on AEW television that ROH has given to me is the Briscoes. Mm. Yeah, I was I was kind of torn with all this, like you say, because I, I didn't find out about the Honor Club stuff until after I'd watched this pay-per-view on Sunday evening. And uh, I had such a really good time in watching this show. I was like, oh, it'll be interesting to see what this, you know, what the announcement was, find out what it is. And then I'm weirdly sort of relieved because... It means there's going to be little effort applied to it going forward mm. a la Rampage. Yeah, exactly. Which is what I need, because I don't want them to be too focused on this. Yeah, I think that's the... Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. Then I started thinking, right, should they have just done the, you know, we keep calling this, it's not going to be called this, but the, the sort of AEW network featuring Ring of Honor instead, because I think that's what we're all crying out for as well. Look, I'm... The WWE Network was hardly proof of concept that people are into a wrestling exclusive streaming platform. Like, I'd love to see it, um, but the costs of setting such a thing up are exorbitant. Mm. And if the WWE Network failed, and sadly for me, it did, uh, I don't think an AEW one is going to do any better, probably significantly worse, and those startup costs were extravagant. The worrying thing is, for me... Um, before I make one more point on the ROH or the state of it generally, is that the fact that he's put it on Honor Club um, and not YouTube means that he doesn't want to give it away for free. Mm. With the idea being the second he gives something away for free, right, and this is honestly one of the reasons why the network failed, uh, because it re didn't really feel premium when they desperately tried to get more and more subscribers, completely anti-premium content model. So the fact that he wants you to pay for it on Honor Club and not give it away for free is that he doesn't want to break that dam and have a network turn around to him and say, well, why would I ever pay for this mm. when you have willingly broadcasted for free? Which makes me think that Tony Khan, deep down, hasn't given up yet and he's still fighting for this title. <laughs> and I'm thinking, mate, Man United have already won it. <laughs> Breaks my heart as someone who grew up on the entertainers to use that analogy, but Man United have already won this title. Newcastle have got knee chance... Kevin Keegan's looking very deluded at this point. And, yeah, it's just not worked. Failed experiment. Like, maybe let it wither and die and reboot it in a couple of years or do some nostalgia shows or something. But the fact that it's going to honor club and the fact that he's going to dedicate his resources, his time, his money, I don't give a f about his money, he's a billionaire. Yeah. It's his time, it's his focus, it's attention. Um, going on something that ultimately is a complete and utter inessential non-starter, as good as it can be in and of itself, is worrying to me because we know what he's like. We know that he doesn't want to hand over responsibility. And he's not quite Vince McMahon levels in terms of that. He will obviously say, you're the professional wrestler. You're the artist. I want you to get this point across in the promo. But Jesus Christ, use your own words. They're yeah, better than yeah, mine. Yeah, Nine yeah. days from tonight. They're better than <laughs> mine. So he's not a complete control freak egomaniac, he knows what he can and can't do, but he seems to think that he can run a separate wrestling entity and gauging by 2022 and how uneven AEW has been, I don't think that's the case. Pro wrestling historically has struggled with hubristic bookers who simply cannot be told that you're on the edge of like declining and yeah, yeah. losing your magic and I would like Tony Khan and this is pie in the sky thinking to be the guy to disrupt that and think, you know what, okay, 
it's not just about developing great wrestlers, right? There is a total deficit of not great wrestling minds. I've handpicked, handpicked, who do I think I am? But I've identified or tried to identify people who I know have had angles approved and I know have had creative control, not just over their character and their finishes, but their creative, their mm, storylines. Mm. Like MGF clearly has a degree of influence, as do all of the top AEW stars, CM Punk, The Elite. Re- develop, if it's going to operate as a quasi-developmental, and such a thing is needed, I wish you'd have the trust to just use these working relationships with the various Japanese promotions that you struck up to say, someone who's very, very promising but doesn't have the muscle memory down and gets lost and can't do everything, hook a private party, go on excursion. I don't know why he doesn't do this. Yeah. They're not needed. They're not fundamental to the success of his TV shows. Without doing that, maybe he does need to feed a system of sorts, one that he's got control over, over and he can trust. But it's not just about developing talent. We need new creative voices. Yeah. We do. Any monopoly is bad. And is there anything in his ROH booking that indicates that, and it's ironic because he has shown a embrace of different kinds of stories. CM Punk's approach to storytelling, markedly different to the elites. He embraced both, mm-hmm. just as an example, and put them on TV. Stylistically, he embraces everything. But his booking patterns and the way he builds things, like there's nothing that he's done on ROH where I thought, you've not used that idea, but you've done it on ROH, that's good. It just feels homogenous. Yeah. Me. And um, I really don't think that two Tony, as much as I rate Tony Khan as a booker, I don't want to see two of his separate brands. I just think any kind of monopoly and homogeneity is bad. I would like to see him for both the continued success of AEW and the worst happens. I want there to be a booker who can step in yes. for Tony in Tony Khan's shoes. We need to develop new wrestling booking minds. And it's a shame that the CM Punk relationship went the way it did. I'd love to see him book a wrestling promotion. I'd like to see Kenny Omega book a wrestling promotion. Um, MJF, obviously these are top stars who wouldn't want to do it yet, but they could shadow bookers. They could get the framework of how to do it before doing their own spin on it. Yes, I'm sorry, I will get to the actual pay-per-view itself. (laughs) Shortly, I'm aware of how rushed we are this afternoon. I always thought Santana... Had something. Oh, really? His um, idea to invoke his dad's terrible history with blindness into the Moxley Jericho program of early 2020, I thought was inspired. It was his idea to trash Sue's van. He instantly realized, right, what's sacred? I'm a heel. What's sacred to these AEW fans? The most wholesome character in all of wrestling, (laughs) right? Let's fucking destroy a van. What a great heat angle yeah. and angle that was to build interest in what ultimately was a classic match. I really thought he had something, but it's up to Tony Khan, in my opinion, for him to identify his talent and his coaches who've really got a knack for booking um, and use developmental. It's not just, oh, we're going to make, have this useless, not useless, inessential brand that no one cares about and the wrestlers get more reps on it. I think it needs to go deeper than that and I think it needs to develop the next wrestling minds and Ultimately, if it's on Honor Club and it's just completionist fair for the hardcores, like, give certain people two months with a creative. I like, really like that as an idea. That's 
going to be fascinating. Uh, well, he's not going to do anything. But yeah. <laughs> before we get to the main card, let's have a quick word on, on Zero Hour. Wins for Jeff Cobb, uh, Angelo Parker and Matt Menard of the JAS, one of our favourites, Willow Nightingale. Uh, and Top Flight defeating the Kingdom. We'd see Top Flight and the uh, JAS uh, brawling a little bit later on before... Danny Magic cut a promo on what makes his nipples hard and how JS was going to do a clean sweep on this show. Uh, he did that obviously just before the pure championship match. But yeah, a word on the uh, the wins on the, the Zero Hour show. Nothing too insightful, I don't think, for me to cover here because I don't think a Zero Hour pre-show buy-in, whatever, lends itself to insight no. because they don't really, by design, go hell for leather in the matches or work these really elaborate stories or anything like that. Jeff Cobb and Dorado, great matchmaking. Like, he knows what he's doing, mm. even if his long-term booking can go long-term for the sake of it. Tony Khan remains an excellent matchmaker who knows how to book two complementary opponents against one another. Uh, Cobb, Dorado was that. I get nothing squashed for 2.0. That basically functioned to remind you that they can win. They're not just these bratty idiots in the yes. back who can shout very loudly and obnoxiously. <laughs> so that's like, you know, pretty basic step A to B booking to get them built up ahead of a match with Top Flight, who themselves looked great. And, you know, again, I want to add my voice to a pretty familiar chorus at this point, but it needs to be louder than it is. The Kingdom are very, very good. Yes. And it's about time that they got respect. It's not as if we're being asked to take them as main event level talents. We're not. They are really solid hands. And I know that I don't like solid. I need excitement in my life. I have very few, um, very little free time. But ultimately, if they can make Top Flight look as spectacular as they did, not every step of the way, there were some botches, but that's why I have an act like that. You have an act like the Kingdom to facilitate the spectacular, yeah. and that's what they did here. So if it's an indirect route to something, that's going to blow my mind. Decent use of my time. And Willow Nightingale remains the best. And Trisha Dora should get a better spotlight, I think, because mm. uh, she was impressive too. So those are my brief thoughts on Zero Hour. Uh, on to the main card then. It was uh, Roosh and Jalistico kicking us off in a tag team uh, match against one of my new favourites, AR Fox. I uh, love the fact that via AEW I've been introduced to this guy. Uh, and someone we've always thought had a lot more talent than was he was allowed to showcase in the likes of NXT, Blake Christian. Um, oh, this was so annoying, this match, in yeah. terms of it was... Trending in the right direction, very obvious sort of nice dynamic there, uh, really enjoyable, high-flying, bonkers stuff from all four men. But at the end of the day, this match is always going to be overshadowed by that bloody finish. Yeah, the finish um, was weird. I don't know why they do this. It's fake. Just, you know, make it up as you go along, improvise. Just say, oh, I've struck the mat for the third time. Have the referee through the earpiece like signal to the timekeeper, no, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me, point, it's on me, my fault, match continues. So that's weird. And they, you know, there's there's four pros in there, they should be able to assemblish, uh, assemblish, assemble a finishing sequence within two minutes, you're not eating too much of the duration. Um, AR Fox looked great here. Yeah. Um, Roosh looked bang up for it. Like, his stuff looked like it hurt even more so than usual, so that was very pleasing for a sicko. But I thought this match kind of fell apart before that finish. Like, I think Blake Christian's got a lot of talent, but I don't know if he was overawed, out of practice, hadn't worked the room this big in quite some time. But, like, getting in the referee's way, like, it just, like, for that dive to the outside near the finish, it just looked like... There was a lack of composure between all four mm. towards that finish, and it just simply fell apart. 
Um, which is a shame because it was trending in a very thrilling direction, as you say. Yeah, love AR Fox, and Roosh was just in his element here, wasn't he? Yeah. Having a great time. Um, and obviously now they've been suspended <laughs> because of the backstage fight. I say that with, you can't see it, but, quote, a lot, this is, this is not final brawl tall or anything like that. It Jesus was, Christ, it's, man. It's, it's a gimmick. It's not, it's not as... It's not what happened at all. They broke the dam with beating up the referee and thought, ah, oh, that gets heat. Yeah, because you <laughs> kept that concept sacred for three years. That's why it gets the heat. Have some goddamn restraint, please. Oh, interesting. Nice way to segue into the uh, ROH Women's World title match. Mercedes Martinez champ, obviously being challenged by the person who st- wrote the book on attacking referees, by the looks of things, Athena. Now, I love Athena, and I'm happy she won this match. And, uh, you know, uh, I thought it was the right decision. <laughs> a big googly eye in the middle of four, it's not, it's always going to make me laugh, I've got to be honest. Uh, oh, she looked like, right, when you are a parent of two young kids and you can do crafts, hopefully like in a museum mm. on one of the floors. All right, there's a crafting area if the kids don't want to, you know, look at things for too long. And they have these various decorations. They have these, like, you know, those, like, little straw things yeah 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 and there's glue and there's paper and kids love all this and so you bought an hour it's great well there's some glitter and there's some googly eyes and right okay that's a like piping yeah the piping and stuff and she looked like she'd been crafted on (laughs) it was not a good look no it just really distracted me early on um but yeah you can tell the room we're desperate for athena to become the world champion and that's exactly what she did yeah, I thought the match was pretty good. Physical, committed, laid their stuff in. It was gripping on that level. But again, the booking was just... Uh, they telegraphed the life out of this to yeah. the detriment of the drama, to the finish, and to the reception that uh, Mercedes Martinez got because it was all built on Athena and the fans gravitated towards this disruptive badass who works really stiff. Like, completely... It's complete fodder to make people fall in love with a professional wrestler. Mercedes Martinez did not exist in the build. The fans have been allowed to get high on the idea of Athena just kicking ass. Every wrestling fan likes someone who looks like the kick ass. And because Mercedes Martinez was ultimately there to eat the pin after 10 minutes or so, and the fans didn't take it seriously, and she hadn't been spotlighted or built well as the champion, no less, during the build. She got booed because she's not as cool as the person they've been asked yeah. to like receive as the new cool ass kicker of the eight, uh, the ROH women's division. So yeah, I think this could have been, they booked a very good character, but ultimately based on this reception, a quite pitiful story, uh, but they worked really hard and, um, finish was great. the finish was great. And as a sicko, I got a lot out of this. <laughs> Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Uh, right, despite the fact uh, I'm an idiot and I uh, don't know anything about Shane Taylor, um, I really quite enjoyed the swerve in our glory. It's funny, I got an idea of what he was like through his... Uh, <sighs> what is it? Uh, through his performance in the match itself? Oh, yeah, that's it, yeah, yeah. And, and his ability know, to tell a story? I'll, I'll, I'll and mind. the exposition we heard on Rampage, on Dynamite? Yeah, they literally said it as he walked on camera. Um, I, I will say, I had no idea about, and quite, I saw heard quite a few people saying, don't know who this J.D. Griffey guy is. And then they went, here he is. He's got an MMA background. He works in MMA style. And I went, cool, got it. And yeah. then like when he had Swerve in a triangle choke, for example, I was like, well, yeah, he looks the part and he's executed that. Got it. At the end of the day, this was always going to be, for the most part, aside from the Swerve and our glory stuff we'll talk about in a second, about Keith Lee and Shane Taylor. And for all the people going, well... You know, I don't know who Shane Taylor is, so no one's going to care about this match. You tell the crowd that. When Shane Taylor came in, Keith Lee's in there, and then Swerve goes, no, I'll take it from here. The reaction of like, no, don't take that away from us, speaks volumes. Um, freakish. And not to disregard JD. I really liked what I saw from JD Griffey. Uh, and Swerve, you, you know, you don't mean need me to tell you how much uh, we love her Swerve here at What Culture. But... Um, this match was basically, yeah, all about Keith Lee and Shane Taylor and the freakish strength things they did to each other. I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. No offence, but I go into this going, well, I know what Keith Lee can do and look at the size of Shane Taylor. So, yeah, that makes sense. But <laughs> Shane matched him, you know, move for move, strength for strength, arguably. What a slugger. The forearms. Oh! I was thinking, how's his jaw not been broken here? Fantastic stuff. And that's even before you get to the spot. The spot being, if you haven't watched Final Battle, this is one of uh, three matches I'd tell you to go out of your way to see. Um, maybe there was one better, but don't go out of your way to see it because you've seen it done better earlier this year. This is completely different. This really nicely told the story of Keith Lee um, is going to destroy Swerve Strickland and it shall be glorious when it happens. But at the same time, he's such a nice guy. That's going to take something really, really transgressive mm. to get that reaction out of him. So Strickland tried his hardest here by walking out of the match, as we called. And not fist bumping him at the start. Yeah. And they've really done a nice little job of telling you, right, okay, Keith Lee's well within his rights to tear this guy's head off now. And what a nice fella, because everyone would have done it 
three months ago. <laughs> yes. Just nice, gradual baby face work. And again, it just serves to like build that drama and make it more meaningful and impactful when it happens. At one point, Shane Taylor, who is absolutely massive, <laughs> tries to do a crossbody off the top or second rope to Keith Lee, who somehow catches him. Stops him dead. It's unbelievable. I watched this show across two very bleary-eyed early mornings. This woke me up. Yeah. This woke me up big time. It was unbelievable. His forearm shots to Keith Lee were great. Keith Lee can slap chests like nobody else. The Griffey played his part very well. Swerve, um, again, was tremendous in this match. Like, there was a miscommunication spot that completely took me by surprise. And the finish, even I'm not just biased because we called it, was really good storytelling. And this was just completely distinctive and jaw-dropping mm. and a great story match at the same time. I thought this had a lot of things to accomplish and it nailed yeah. every single one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, we went into it with a lot of apprehensions. I was sat here going, can they coexist? Clearly not. They've already sort of broken up, but I thought they played with that dynamic really well from the moment. Like I say, they walked out. I also like the bit with, I think it was with J.D. Griffey, where I think Keith Lee caught him on the outside and J.D. Griffey was like, ah, don't do it. And he sort of went, okay, that would be a pretty shant to me to like drop you on the outside. We'll keep this respectful in the wrestling ring. So he sort of put him back down. <laughs> Swerve was like, not when you do that, I just ran along the apron and kicked his head off. My God, they are so unbelievable at casting Keith Lee as someone who you just can't hurt. It's so easy to book a guy like that. Trust Vince McMahon. You know what? Triple H made him very melodramatic as well. So he's yeah. he's not. He's not exempt yeah, he's not completely from this criticism. This. My God, if you haven't seen it right, you know when you'd see it in like films or whatever, when a bully character picks up a geek and presses him up against a wall or a locker, okay, in that position where they look like they are a child in that moment. Keith Lee does that, but he's caught a mid-rotation. Imagine catching a dive... Mid-rotation is if you press somebody up against a locker, and then Keith Lee can be that powerful bully if he wants, but he doesn't want to be. Yeah. You don't want to smack you on the apron, but you know what? It's fine. I'm a nice guy. Yeah, Keith Lee, what a Just, guy. And I do like the, the, the story that concluded this match of, oh, no, Swerve's abandoned Keith Lee. Doesn't matter, it's Keith Lee. He can just wreck everyone if he turns it on. What I love about the story as well is that they are going to have to do something. They're, they're probably going to do some horrific injury angle to have Keith Lee enter his biggest singles match at a physical disadvantage. Because at this point with this finish, it just seems like, rather certainly gets his hand on Swerve, it's going to be over in like four minutes. Mm. I'm really interested to see how they make the result less predictable and the match closer and more competitive. But I trust them to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on... <laughs> Uh, this was heartbreakingly predictable, this match. It was for the ROH Six-Man Tag Team Championships. It was one of my favourites, Dalton Castle and the boys. I cannot take my eyes off the screen when Dalton Castle is on it. I think I love this gimmick. I love this dynamic. I love the story about, you know, which they reiterated on com. Shout out, by the way, to uh, Ian Ruckaboni and uh, and Caprice Coleman. I thought they did an excellent job on commentary. Can I just reiterate that and back up your take? Because they did generally across the whole, particularly in the main event. I've got a few criticisms of them later, but I just want to point out now that I thought they did a four-and-a-quarter-star job. Yeah. Um, their work in one particular match, I thought, not not the best, but we'll get to that. 
Um, it was, I'll see if I can remember something else because I've got another point I want to mention. Uh, Remind me during the morning during the Samoa Joe match um, because yeah um, I oh we you know if you, you probably a lot of people Ring of Honor fans will definitely already know it but the story about the fact that Dalton Castle <laughs> was this you know fun character you know very flamboyant with the boys etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know that can take you so far but then the fire up spots and the fact that this guy like wrestled with a broken back and things like that like he, he can still do. Just because he's like, you know, does all this snazzy stuff, he can still go. He can still chuck people all over the place as he did here. But uh, yeah, I think the moment I saw these six men uh, in the ring together, I thought there's only going to be one winner here, and that's Brian Cage and the Gates of Agony, the Embassy, as they're known, of course. I wish this didn't go as long as it did. I think they could have told this story in a much tighter, shorter way because when it, there were certain elements where I thought you're not getting this. You're doing action and sequences and elongating the the, the runtime just for the sake of it out of like a few quick we are doomed but god damn it i were a little bit spirited like a march to their own demise in a nice succinct way but it kind of thought it missed the point of what it was i think by going longer than it should mm. have but there's still some really nice moments to be had dalton castle's barrage of suplexes was unbelievable I love the little witty moment where they did the. I'm gonna lower. I'm gonna crawl behind your legs so yes. that you can get tipped over. Spot chin ups or something. Pull yeah, the, the pull ups. I just think that this was a bit bloated for the story they were telling. I kind of got it. Yeah. Before it finished. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, new uh, Ring of Honor six man tag team champions though in the Embassy. Good luck to anyone trying to take that off them. Uh, and then we got the uh, pure wrestling rules match. As I said, mentioned before, there was the Daddy Magic, Cool uh, Hand Ange. This bloody company is rubbish. Thank God Jericho's here. Um, top flight brawl stuff as well prior to this. But it was uh, Daniel Garcia, the uh, pure wrestling rules champion, um, versus Wheeler Utah. Obviously, these two have got a, a long and storied history together. And I don't know whether this was because, you know, I'm still relatively new to the uh, pure rules match. Um, and this, you know, if someone, if someone had seen a lot of them, they'd have been like, oh, it's a bit of a, you know, tropey sort of thing. But I love the dynamic of Daniel Garcia forcing Wheeler Utah to use all of his uh, rope breaks and what have you and seeming and thinking, right, now I've gotten through that and I've baited him into using a closed fist. Like I think I've got him here. And as a as a UFC fan, that finish where he sort of crucifix your neck's just exposed and I'm just gonna keep doing this until you until literally they have to say, he's out. He's completely out. I really liked it. But what did you think of it all? I thought the spot where Garcia had Wheeler right on the ropes after he'd already exhausted his breaks, but then he tumbled out of the yeah. ring was really, really good. I thought this suffered from the fact that we've seen this match twice mm. under this step, and the matches weren't so great and memorable that you were on the hook to remember the beats and how they could build on the first two matches. So I didn't enter it in like this state of mind where I was really ready to re-embrace the details that told in the story. Um, and I thought it was an abbreviated version of what could have been a much, much better match. I had some really nice thought and creativity put into it. The idea that they pretty much exhausted all their options to um, get the advantage or to save themselves. I.e., right, okay, I could punch him in the face, buy some time. No, off the table immediately. 
I've got a rule break left. No off the table immediately. It kind of made it seem like Wheeler Utah had no other options but to wrestle purely um, with no flaws or mistakes mm. the fight of his life and to then go another 10 minutes or so. It just felt like an abbreviated version of a match that could have been so much more. Obviously, you can't fault the work. Some of the um, submission trade-offs and counters were just out of this world. Liquid Pro Wrestling, as you'd expect from two prodigies, but they suffered from the lack of buzz going into it and the fact that they told... Because this is meant to be a rubber match and it's meant to be the big baby face triumph. I talk about match lengths all the time. Um, certain matches go long, unreasonably long, for no goddamn reason, and I just get so bored. This is one of the few matches where I'm thinking this has to go a little bit longer to tell the true scope of the story you're trying to tell. Otherwise, it didn't register, and I thought that th they've had better and they will continue to do better, and this was just good when mm -hmm. I'm expecting great from these boys. But yeah, I thought I thought Daniel Garcia in particular played his part brilliantly in, in this. Um, and the right result, obviously, with, with Wheelie eventually emerging as pure champion. Right. I'm not really going to say much here yeah. because I feel like you've probably got quite a lot to say about this. Um, third match in the trilogy, FTR, Briscoes, ROH World Tag Team Championships and a brutal double dog collar match. How brutal, you ask? Well, if you haven't seen it, pause this podcast right now and go and watch it because I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. This is... Yeah. This is a must watch. This is literally the second best tag team match of the weekend after uh, the New Day. Oh, shut up, man, you tit. <laughs> I did quite enjoy that NXT no. deadline. deadline review coming a little bit later on today. But literally, this reminded us um, why these two guys are the second and third best tag teams in the world. And I mean... <laughs> Folks, where's the lie? I too prefer the young box, but let's. <laughs> no, right. What I was going to say, to actually mean to hear is, how brutal was this match? If I haven't seen it, Adam. Well, there's four guys in the match, and five guys got juice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely awesome. Right, I think everyone on the face of the planet has this match at five stars. Yeah, I had it at four and three, so I'm going to get some little quibbles out of the way before I put it over to the hilt. Um, I think elsewhere, Coleman and Riccoboni did a very good job. If there's one flaw to that act, right, it's that I don't think Riccoboni has got the seniority um, to do this kind of match justice. I think that's fair. I think they should have got Jim Ross for this. Like, and you know, all you have to do, wherever you get your podcasts from, is check out the Rampage review for a grade-A Cedric burial of Jim Ross. <laughs> he bloody deserved it. At his best, he's still inimitable in getting this kind of match and its emotional heft over. There are certain points where Riccoboni and Coleman are trying to sell the gravitas, they're trying to sell the sheer weight, the anxiety, the, the horror of what these men were legitimately doing to one another, and I thought it came across as corny at times for me. And They were doing their best, it's hard to sustain something like that as well for 20-odd minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that it was a bit overwrought and corny in the commentary, and I felt like they were acting. Do you want a bit of this? Does he have no conscience? Does he have no heart? Do you have no soul, you son of a bitch? That's why Jim Ross was the best. Yeah. That's why he still gets these dates to work commentary. This is why the guy has been thrashed and way past his best since at least... 
2017. That's why, sorry to jump in, that's why a friend of mine who I didn't even know likes wrestling said to me, oh, I saw this, this AEW, this is a couple of years, I saw this AEW thing, what's that? Is that like a WWE thing or what? Because I know Chris Jericho's in it and Jim Ross does commentary. Like, second name out of his mouth. My, one of my best mates of the whole wide world, Tom, uh, Craig Thompson, right? Toxic banter, but sweetheart, very yeah. funny guy, close, very close friend of mine. Lapsed attitude era fan. Jim Ross was like a meme amongst us. Like he's still a meme now, but we like whenever we talk as mates and catch up, Jim Ross somehow always creeps into the banter. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Because he was the anchor to the complete rampant immorality of the attitude era, and he made it feel like a up organi- organization on the up and up. And he was the guy who took it seriously and he was just iconic, so impassioned, so authoritative. When Tompa who, as far like, every now and then, when I was, like, when we were each back home um, for uni in the summer or whatever, we would watch something like SummerSlam 2006. Even though I was still watching it, he just gave up watching it weekly in the Attitude Era, right? He'd always be up for, like, a night. Yeah. Like, let's have some beers in and watch the wrestling. or watch WrestleMania 21 together. That was amazing. Um, SummerSlam 2006, not quite as good, but <laughs> still just fun to watch with the yeah. man. He was always, he's the ultimate epitome of a, he was the ultimate test consumer for AEW. Yeah. Someone who's inclined to watch wrestling, WWE hasn't held his interest, he is receptive to it if it got good again. He was flicking over ITV4 one Friday night after a night in the pub, instantly heard Jim Ross and thought, right, this is legitimate, this isn't some bollocks that mm, that's yeah. calls itself wrestling. And he got into it, and Jim Ross was the conduit of that. And I think Jim Ross, on his best day, could have turned this even better at just those certain moments. And I don't want to pile on too much, because I thought they tried their best, and they were very, very, very good throughout the night. But there was just certain moments where I thought, oh, God, like I, I get what you're saying, but you're really overdoing it with the, with the are they going to be able to stand up in the morning and... Jim Ross could do the melodrama and the pretty cringe melodrama better than anyone. It's mm. a very, very, very hard skill to do, and I thought they over-egged it for me personally. One more flaw, right, is that, yes, I understand that Mark Briscoe got dragged via chain off the apron onto a pile of chairs on the outside. <gasps> Even before that, and again, they've told the story that Dax and Jay are the de facto team leaders, the strongest guys on the team, the best ones on the team. So much of the action was sent around their pairing and being chained together. As brutal as this was, right? And again, I feel like such a dickhead for being pedantic about this. As brutal as it was, and as much as you could justify a lot of selling on the outside, if any match could get away with it, this could. Yeah. I was at times thinking... Well, the people in the ring are killing each other more than they are on the outside. Yeah, I get that. I don't want to say they look like spare parts, but I, it was a little bit distract, distracting when I thought, right, Dax is doing his um, big stuff with Jay here. Uninterrupted for quite a long time. And I was just a, a tiny bit distracted by that. Chain-assisted pile drivers. Yeah, and then they were getting... Easier to recover from than, yeah. They were getting up quicker, so I was honestly a bit distracted. But it could not detract from the fact that this was a masterpiece. I was so in thrall and in admiration of the the restraint. I, before this, I thought, what they're going to do is they're going to do some kind of double submission spot. Oh, no, they're going to have them, they're going to have Cash crawl over to Dax, 
hold the hand while he's getting choked out and then get yanked away. And I'm so glad they didn't do that. This match was honestly as good for what they didn't do and what mm, they shied yeah. away from in service of what it had to be. That it was really understated and glorious on that level because it didn't need that melodrama. They knew fine well it would have detracted from the gory, intense war of an experience if they tried to do too much cinematic camera-friendly, melodramatic storytelling. I'm so glad they didn't go that route. They showed restraint. I thought the second match of this is possibly the, this trilogy is might just be the most overrated match of the year. I just thought they were really grabby trying to chase a star rating. God damn it, they got it, but I just thought they 10 minutes too long, too many kickouts, too many tropes. And I think this match was the perfect antidote of that. It just yes. felt horrible. It felt like a war. I was gasping, I was wincing. Um and I thought one spot in particular was made such great use of the chain and that was when Cash was trying to make the save, desperately trying to use the ropes, but you can't use the ropes as much as your masters of where this ring is because you've got a chain wrapped around your neck and you're getting dragged out of that ring. And I thought it was such a perfect way of putting the Briscoes as bloody brawlers over yeah. the better technical tag team because it doesn't matter how well you can use the ropes, or every millimeter you know of that ring and how every millimeter counts. You can't do anything when you've got these backwards, oh. inbred-looking badasses dragging you around there with chains. I thought this was so, so great. Completely pedantic flaws that, quite frankly, no one else seems to share aside. Yeah. And uh, I think they subverted Chekhov's table. That table didn't get smashed, did it? Not as far as I remember. I was, I was thinking this like as they got like the bit where he was getting. I think Mark got yanked off the the apron. I was like, oh, here comes the table spot. Then. And I think they've put that table there on purpose without breaking it to get that spot on the chairs overall the more because when you think I thought horrible bump. It was a horrible bump. Incredible drama. Total commitment. But I think that I love a table spot as much as the next one, which is everyone. The table is more over than pretty much any wrestler in any building ever. Yes. They get chanted more, they get a bigger pop. Tables are more over than anything else. I think that was put there to make you realize, oh, that would hurt so much more than a table. Yes. And it just, the presence of the table put that spot over all the more. And I love how as much as Cash did struggle and struggle and struggle to break free of the ropes and try and use it to spring off and break up the pin, they didn't labor on it too much. They didn't do the, this is great in its own context, the Shawn Michaels WrestleMania 21 finish, where it's like, your tendons are broke. <laughs> you're tapping out, but you're Sean, and you really, you've got the crowd with you, so I will give you this one, Sean Michaels, for once. <laughs> they didn't go too long. They didn't indulge themselves. I thought the ratio between the attritional tone and the high spots you need for a modern match, ratio was balanced perfectly. I just thought the commentary was a bit corny, and there was a bit too much Dax and Jay having their big standoff moments, mm. but that was my only complaint about something that was genuinely unbelievable. So I watched eight hours of wrestling yesterday, all, all included SmackDown, Rampage, Deadline, and this show. I'm genuinely astonished that I didn't have a dream last night that featured Jay or Mark Briscoe, who are nice men from the brief encounter I had with them in WCPW. Problematic history aside, which yes, they appeared to have you know, tried to redeem themselves yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of when we had them in WCPW, still terrified of them, as I am with most wrestlers, but... Like, in this scenario, it was just, don't take this the wrong way, 
right? Mark Briscoe has a great face for being hung via a dog collar. Yeah. Like, and there was a bit in this match, and I think they did actually say when I round, wound it back, that, oh, Dax has lost a tooth. But I heard them say, someone's lost a tooth. And I thought, well, that's not really going to bother Mark yeah, Briscoe, yeah. is it? And Can he even, would he even be able to tell? Yeah, exactly. Um, when Jay Briscoe gets colour, boy, does he get colour, by the way. And I love his hair, and I love his hair when it's soaked in blood even more because I'm a bit of a sadistic bastard when it comes to that. Um, I do have to point out one thing that I am desperate to know your thoughts on, and we've sort of sort of broached it a little bit in the office, but for, for the sake of posterity, <laughs> just your thoughts on the Dax wrapping the chain around his head spots. That was another thing that took off the five stars for me. It was amazing. Said so coated in blood and sweat and all that. It was... I just wish he'd just shrugged and just decided to not do it because ultimately, if you're in the fight of your life, right, you're probably not going to concern yourself with, can I do this one thing? It was kind of laughable, and it completely took me out of the action. And it's weird because you can kind of see why he would struggle to do that because he's thinking, if I can do a chain-assisted headbutt, I'm going to win the match, so I have to do it. But it just failed. the first couple of goes, yeah, give it up. It just took far too long to decide whether he was in or out of that spot, and it took me out of the action. Uh, and should he not have realized that he should have practiced this one beforehand? Probably should have realized, you know, it's going to be quite hard for this to work. He just got the chain around his forehead and just did a no hands there. Yeah, well, just, yeah, exactly. One hand, even. I just think that. Hard to tell him, obviously, what to do because it was an insane match. I also like the fact that, obviously, Briscoe's win. I'm not sure if we mentioned that, but Briscoe's win. Uh, RH Tag Team Champions, uh, FTRs. Downward spiral may look set to continue. And. How cheeky in a match where, like you say, these guys have lost buckets of blood, have taken years off their wrestling career, potentially, taken some horrific bumps. And what's the, one of my main takeaways from this match? Well, blade job from that ref. The blade job from the ref, yes. Mike Posey, is it? Yeah, I think so. I think that's his name. I'll double-check that in a second, so I don't... Was he the one who came in? Is it not Hebner's kid who did the blade job? Why do I think it's Hebner's kid? I don't know my referees, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was Mike Posey because I've seen the image of him today and the uh, NXT referee who took a worse bump, naturally, <laughs> in the uh, Isla Dawn match, more than that in the deadline. Two review. types of wrestling, isn't there? Yep. There, there's good wrestling and there's bad wrestling. <laughs> but in all that, right, all the mad bollocks, what's one of my main takeaways? Those bloody ass boys sliding in after all this to stick their boots in FTR. White vest, very nice touch, that. Uh, and yes, obviously the Briscoes come down, and there's a lovely moment with 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 FTR and the, the the bit with Dax cutting a promo, just out cold, but well, not out cold, but laid out with just a mic next to his mouth, so he's cutting a promo like that. But credit credit to the Gun Club. I really I'm interested in seeing FTR versus Gun Club. This is that rare thing of they're building it and building it and building it and building it. It's like for this match, but I'm thinking no, no, no it's. When they get their asses kicked, it's going to be great. But because they're in parallel telling the story of FTR might be done, actually, have they spent so long building this because they want the gun club to be the ones that really get over by beating FTR on the way out? Or does FTR beating the gun club act as their redemption and give them the shot at revolution? There's, I'm interested. I think that result is very interesting. 
Uh, but yeah, a jaw-dropping, unforgettable match this. Um, I felt a bit sorry for Samoa Joe and Juice Robinson because you already said on the preview, of course, they were going to have a job top in the, the match with Darby Allen for the TNT title, and then they had to follow this. Yeah, look, I thought this was pretty slow, pretty boring. Um, the nicest thing I can possibly say about it is that it kind of didn't fail the live crowd, or in fact the viewing experience because watching Joe be Joe again is fun. People are back into it, and it got a reaction, and it didn't go too long. I'll never do a cartwheel over this match um, as long as I live. But if you're there in the live crowd, this didn't kill the show. Mm. A backhanded compliment, that is. The fans are massive into Joe, so I think it worked on that level. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've said before, I'm a fan of Juice Robinson's. I think he played the... The role as well as he could here, like you say, following everything. And uh, oh, that was the bit I was going to mention with the with the commentary. There was a lovely spot where I think Joe maybe was choking Juice Robinson on the ropes or whatever it may be, and there was just some blood on it. Obviously, they changed the ring mat uh, or ring cover or whatever it's called, uh, and there was a lovely nod to it by Riccoboni. I think it was just just like uh, blood from battles past there because it was just everything's yeah. coated because. I mean, I get, I get the feeling if you were in the front few rows of Final Battle, you probably got a bit of blood for free to take home with you because yeah. you can only imagine with the amount of juice that these boys got. The moment they hit and flicked their heads back, it was going everywhere, but there was a, yeah, a lovely touch with that. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, a retention for Samoa Joe of the ROH World TV Championship. And then it was time for the main event, Chris Jericho. Uh Lovely nod to this, by the way, when they were doing the the 20 count, obviously, in Ring of Honor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ocho from the crowd. Lovely that. And on the swings as well. And on the swings, yes, of course. Uh, It was Chris Jericho versus Claudio Castagnoli. Of course, if Claudio had lost, as was alluded to by Daddy Magic earlier with the the hat, he would have to join the Jericho Appreciation Society and become a yodeler or whatever it was. Um, I gotta say, I love the finish to this match. Oh, it was great. I, was just, I saw one or two dissenting voices who said, like, really? Taps out to a swing. And I was like, he's gone 15, 16, 17 odd minutes. And it does, he, he's old. Let's not forget this. And with Claudio, like, you and I know that, right, it's gonna have to stop eventually because they have to move on to the next spot or he's gonna put him in the sharpshoot or whatever it is. But in the, you know, the, the the match, what you could just be like that forever. And you, I've been, I've been in those situations. I'm someone who hates going on like the waltzers or anything like that. When you can f- presumably feel the blood rushing, like oh, I'm gonna black out or whatever it may be. I thought it was a really cute touch, what? rather than have it be like some big uppercut, especially off the back of obviously the the bat shot. Yeah, I'll go on and finish before I give my thoughts on the match overall. I thought it was absolutely spectacular. Um, you must have been dizzy. At some point in your lives. It's one thing where it's like you don't know the excruciating pain of a submission hold. But it's very relatable to be dizzy and just stop the ride I want to get off. Yes. Right? I, uh, yeah, this is great. Like, people shoot, hate taking this move. People, like, tell them that you can't do it. They don't want them to do it because it makes them feel physically sick. True story, right? Um, my missus doesn't like going on fairground rides. Just scared of them, hates them, all the rest of it. And whenever, like, she's doing something one of the other kids, like, she just hates the vibe of a fun fair as well. I love it, me. Love all the fun of it. <laughs> love all the fun of the fair. Yes. Love it. So I always take, if I've got one kid, 
And for whatever reason, we'll have to do it apart. Like, if she's taking them to the football, she's a bit young for it, or whatever. She's, or my youngest daughter's going to a birthday party. It's all right, fair. We're going to Shields. We're going to the fair. Yes. I love it. Um, So, James, this was last summer, right, where... This is, uh, this is one that looks really fast, but just goes in a circle, and you're in this car, and it just goes fast. And you think, right, okay, James, this is more than like the ones where you're on a swing, and it takes you around, like, I'm going to take you on a proper ride here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, it should be fine. Like, I've, I've watched it. It's very, very fast. But it's all in a circle. So we'll go on, thingy. First thing it does is tilt you upside down. It's like, oh, well, on the side. And I was like, oh, my, it didn't look like that when I was on it. <laughs> and then it just spins you. It's this absolutely ridiculous rotation. And you think... Because it's such an unnatural position, like the swing, and the blood's going where it shouldn't. I'm thinking I feel sick. I feel terrified. I feel like if I get let go, I'm going to land on some horrible position on my head. <laughs> and I, I, I felt so guilty because James is right next to us. He's like f- five or six years old at the time. I was like, James, are you okay? He's like, yeah, this is perfect. But I'm thinking he's just trying to be brave. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. he's having a bad time. And uh, then it starts taking you backwards. Oh, God. It's like, oh, God, I hate this. Just get off. I want to get off. I want to get off. I want to get off. I hate this. I hate this. I feel like I'm going to die. Right? I would, if I had the opportunity, yeah, right, it stopped. Out, yeah. I would have fucking tapped out. <laughs> Idiots. It's being, it's like, uh, oh, it's just, it's not like I'm on a ride and I'm having fun. Ooh, no. tap out. It makes you feel physically sick and people shoot hate taking this move. I remember being on with my missus. We went on, just went on the pirate ship at Drayton Manor in the summer with uh, her nephew, and like we didn't even sit. You know, you meant to sit at the back end to get the full. Sat near the middle, and Henry was a bit like, Ugh. and she was like, "I want to get off. I, don't, I can't handle this. I don't want it. It's, it's already." And this is just barely starting. Like you say, it's a very relatable thing. It's a very relatable thing. All I'm going to say, Wilborn, is that if you don't understand why this was a sickening thing that Jericho just needed to get out of, right? Uh, go and touch grass, literally, and go to a fair. Yes. And, like, in, in storyline and in real life, actually, Chris Jericho's got a bit of an ego. I don't think he'd want footage of him vomiting yeah. whilst trying to defend his world title. He'd rather just lose and, you know, turn tail and, and fight another day than I love than how this. when he got released as well, he almost went through the ropes. It was what a finish. Like, the visual looked amazing. And I'd, Claudio's face was a picture of like, oh, I've won, like, um, and obviously the the great false finish with the the bat and the rest of the JAS. Yeah, I'll just give my thoughts on the match because we're conscious of time. I thought this was really, really elegantly put together in a way that actually annoyed me, which I'll get <laughs> to right. So they tell the story that, um, because he gets the neutralizer very, very quickly. He's a house on fire, as Kevin Owens described, Claudio Castagnoli. Deadpan, he's a human horse. <laughs> yes. Like, if you're going to, if he's getting booked to win, don't say that no one's going to believe it. He's a human horse. Yeah. Don't be a dick. He can beat you. So, yeah, it's fine. Okay. So, House of Fire, absolute killer, explosive powerhouse, can kill you with one of his signatures within about two minutes. That's how good he is. So, Jericho put him over straight away. And then Chris Jericho told the story of, I'm a master at this. They built the um, the rebound springboard uppercut. Claudio sensed that right, Jericho's got this one figured out. I'm gonna step. I'm gonna think one step ahead of Jericho by feigning to do the uppercut, which is a physiological gr- great feat in itself. So he does the uppercut, 
uh, anticipates the counter of the code breaker, so decides not to fall into the code breaker, but Jericho, being an in-ring master on an intellectual level, anticipates that Claudio's going to anticipate the counter, then comes up with one of his own, in addition to countering the swing a few minutes later in an incredible spot. So they basically build a story that Chris Jericho's mind has never been sharper, or rarely has been sharper, and then when that fails him, because he's up against such a formidable opponent, so motivated as a babyface. It's huge when he's like, yeah. he looks incredible, Claudio. So when he realizes, oh, Christ, I need the help from my goons here because I'm not beating that guy. Even in the form I'm in with these counters, as illustrated by these counters, I'm not going to beat this guy in this form. Right, come on, goon squad. <laughs> Near fall, great. And then he just gets sent on the ride of his life. And he's like, they're going to be sick. I hate this. I'm going to die. Tap out. I thought this did such a great job of building a company ace as the best version of every wrestler. He's smarter, he's more explosive, he's wise to the dickhead tricks at this point, and it doesn't matter how many counters you've got with stuff, his stuff's still too good. What a great job Jericho did here in putting over a new company ace for ROH, just so it can just be completionist fair that no one gives a toss about on Honor Club. Priorities. The priorities from Tony Khan as, as it pertains to ROH have been completely out of whack. Like... Why couldn't he have put in this performance in barbed wire everywhere and put Kingston over when you've got a potential world champion babyface of AEW level? And I don't think Claudio will ever get there. Kingston can because he's a better all-round TV star. They basically should have had Jericho do this specific kind of job to Eddie Kingston Mm. and not for the sake of sure that no one's going to pay to watch an honor club. So this, to me, just underscores how the priorities have been out of whack for Tony Khan and AEW and ROH and Eddie Kingston all this year. And hopefully 2023 can go differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what I will say that I took away from this excellent finish and the reaction from Claudio, not just the shock of, oh, my God, I'm the champion, but the post-celebration you know, celebration with the down-the-lens stuff felt like his first Ring of Honor World title. Yeah. I really put it over. Um, it, 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 it was almost like, right, this is proper now. Um, and like you say, I think, yeah, it's tinged with yeah what could have been elsewhere. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the close to this show. Guess what? JAS versus BCC is over. Oh, thank Christ. Well, it has to be now. Well, we'll discuss more of this on the Dynamite preview yeah. later on this week. But let us know your thoughts on Ring of Honor Final Battle on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch there. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Bump a day today. Uh, Smackdown review, Rampage review, this NXT Deadline review coming your way later, and myself... And the Dadleys previewing Monday Night Raw. But for now, this has been the final battle review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon.